conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Katie Schaefer. Today we are talking all about Loki, the first season of the show, because, well, one, if you have not watched it, here's your spoiler warning. I'm trying to get used to doing these now that I'm doing episodes in a more timely manner, (laughs) but, you know, so it's safe to say now that a second season was announced at the end of this one in the post credit scene, which we will talk more about the end of the season in a little bit, but Katie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I really am excited to talk Loki with you because there's a lot to talk about. There is. And considering it was only six episodes, I feel like none of them really felt like filler because Marvel is not necessarily tightening these up completely, if we're being honest, between WandaVision and the Falcon and Winter Soldier and Loki. But I think Loki was one that had a lot more to accomplish for the viewers in particular, because, you know, the first episode is really diving into what the TVA is, which I'm not going to claim to know everything from the comics because there are so many that I haven't read. So I admittedly was super unfamiliar with the TVA. I had absolutely no clue what it was. Well, they've appeared in, let's see, what was it? I think all of eight issues or something like that. Or maybe it's just the Mobius character. But there's a really great comic tropes video about the TVA. It goes into and gives you all the little instances of their appearance. And it's... um. Not a huge presence, we shall say. (laughs) Yeah, it isn't something that seems to come up in like the big events like Civil War or anything like that. So this seemed like a very, very specific choice on their part to pull out that place from the comics and the Mobius character for this show. It felt very specific, I guess. And it has been, it is a... Thor universe thing and Fantastic Four, I guess, is where it's appeared before. But its first appearance was in a 70s Thor comic, I believe it was. Definitely haven't read that. (laughs) No, no. And I believe it was the Mighty Thor comic series. But yeah, it feels really big to introduce in a show, you know. But I think by the end of the show, I kind of understood why they used that. And, um, you know, Disney... I think this one and WandaVision more than anything else are showing that uh, they're not afraid to put huge events in these shows and big ideas that usually we would expect to see in a movie. And the TVA very much feels something like that because it really it's nice because it very much simplifies the idea of the multiverse in a way that will make it real digestible for people, but gives a really interesting twist to this because when we're talking about who who decides what the time what timelines are good and what timelines are bad and they really don't address any of that until later and I loved how they peel apart the TVA pretty slowly but very efficiently. Right and I know we kind of want to cover the new elements here because there's a lot of new stuff introduced aside from the TVA. You have obviously all of the characters within the TVA, Miss Minutes even, and you have Sylvie coming in a little later. There's just so much they introduced in this one. I was actually kind of surprised because if we look back at WandaVision, They spent a lot of time bringing characters in who we already were introduced to. So, you know, you had Darcy, Jimmy Woo, you had, you know, so many familiar faces in that. Obviously, they did introduce Agatha and that whole storyline. But then with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, that felt like the most MCU of these shows by far. Yeah, we'd seen all the major players before, I think. There might have been a couple small ones, but other than the... U.S. agent and the other super soldiers. Yes. Not soldiers, but super. (laughs) Exactly. So, And they're, you know, portrayed as the bad guy, so it makes sense that they're the new introduction. Mm -hmm. But yeah, with this, 
there's just mostly new. I mean, yeah, Loki is the only real constant in the entire show. Right. And I do like that in the very first episode, they're like, okay, we're telling you where this picks up in Loki's story. Because with the MCU movies, there's definitely blind spots for the viewers as to what some of these characters were doing. And sometimes they go and fill those things in. And then, you know, you obviously have the five years of the blip now, too, that is kind of playing catch up with a lot of characters. And one of the things I liked was they were like, no, we're literally going to give you this scene from Avengers and twist the perspective on it so that you can follow Loki instead of the heroes. Right. And I, I liked that, too. And it's it's interesting that it's the third time we've seen that scene from different perspectives because yep. it's from the original Avengers movie and then we see it again in Endgame and now we see it here. And when they first showed it to us, I was like, oh, they're just reusing that Endgame footage, but there are some very different parts of it. And I would be willing to bet that all of that was filmed during the Endgame filming because they knew they were going to be making Loki at the time. So it works very well and it fits in and feels and makes it feel very connected to that end game moment and it reminds us who that loki is because by the time you know the loki who dies in end game like he's a very different character than he is in the avengers and his time in the tva really really lots of character development is just crammed in those six episodes yeah and one of the other things they also do is the idea of variants becoming such a huge thing because we obviously know that multiverses exist within comics. DC is the one who has largely leaned into that, especially with the Arrowverse shows on the CW and, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths and doing that whole event. But for Marvel, this really is a chance to introduce so many different things just through this show because we know Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is coming. I am so bad at remembering all these names, but... 2022 is when we're getting that one, I believe. Right. And the upcoming Spider-Man is rumored to involve the multiverse in some way, too. And that's yep. obviously one way to introduce both the the X-Men and Fantastic Four now, if they so choose to do it that way. I don't know if they will, obviously, but I think it opens up so many possibilities. And the fact that we also see so many Lokis in this show by the end of the six episodes. I love that. And they clearly say that he is the one who gets the most variants they've ever, like he's been the most pruned of any person in the universe or in the multiverse rather. And they don't just have Lokis who don't look like him. They also have like this identical Loki running around. And we see that and you get Alligator Loki, which obviously fan favorite. Yeah. I think everyone loved that one. And then you have Sylvie who is kind of, okay, is she Lady Loki? Is she not? And... Is she going by a new name for any specific reason? There's more uncertainty surrounding her than I think any of the other Loki variants, for sure. But overall, you can see sort of the similarities between all of these Lokis, despite how different they are and they're, the fact that they're played by different people and creatures, I, I guess. Yeah. Reptiles. Right? I love that there's only one that's that. It's just one crocodile Loki. Although that does seem apropos, honestly. <laughs> just one. But I think what they did so well here is they took a character that they knew a lot of people loved and they didn't give you a story that you could necessarily predict. Yeah. Yeah. There, I had no idea what was coming with this. I, it was just from episode to episode. I was like, okay. And I really enjoyed that because in the beginning, like the first episode really sets you up for these. It breaks all your expectations by essentially telling you that Sylvie is Loki, that that's who they're, that they're using, you know, this Loki to hunt the the quote-unquote bad Loki. And I was like, okay, thank you. I was really worried as I was watching it. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's where this is going. 
how long are we going to have to wait to find out, find this out? Is that the goal of the season? And I just loved that they were like, no, no, that's what's happening. We're just getting that out of the way right now and moving on to more interesting stuff. And I was like, oh, thank God, because I don't want to spend the whole season being like, I know. Mm -hmm. Let's get to the point. Yeah. So we obviously have a lot of recurring characters in the first episode because of the flashback and the recap to get us to where Loki is now. But you have the introduction of Hunter B-15. You have Mobius M. Mobius. You have, you know, Miss Minutes. And this first episode really is a, hey, here's the TVA. Here's what it is. And it looks amazing. You know, the set for that and you know, I'm sure some of it was CGI or something because you look out and it's just like, okay, that doesn't look real, but it still looked good. Yeah, that stuff was green screened, but almost all of like the when they are in a room in the TVA, mm-hmm. almost all of that is set work. Yeah. So it's not like in some of the stuff, it is very much every they're in a green room and everybody's all of that stuff's being done on behind the scenes. But with this, it was very much a set. And I love that they decided to go all 70s with it (laughs) yeah like all the cream and the weird round seats and the brown and green tones like it's it has a very good aesthetic that works so well with this concept so yeah so we've mentioned a bunch of the new elements they introduced but I think Sylvie is the most important for Loki's story, aside from just the TVA existing in general, I don't know how many of the hunters really are going to have a huge impact on the MCU. Obviously, a lot of people did enjoy Mobius as well, because there was an episode he wasn't in and people were like, bring Mobius back, you know, and you really got a sense that a lot of fans made a connection with Loki on a deeper level, Sylvie and Mobius. And those were sort of the three key characters in this. I do love that they found a way to bring back Lady Sif. Yes. Yes. And it's that scene where she's just repeatedly hitting him over and over again. Yeah. Fantastic. But as far as the new elements go, let's dive a little deeper into Sylvie. It's clear this character has suffered some trauma And you never really know if you can trust her as a viewer. There's sort of this thing where you're like, okay, as much as we love Loki, do we ever really trust him? Right. And you get that same thing with Sylvie. But there's different reasons you can't trust them. Like you can trust that they will act in certain ways and how they will act is very different but also in the same kind of tactic. It's like it's it's obviously exactly what it is, where it's the same personality that's gone through these very different experiences. And I think the acting in it is such a perfect example of that. And Sylvie is, there's a precedent for her in the comics from the same kind of time period, like I believe. And she is very much her own character within Marvel Comics. And I really enjoyed their pulling her out and allowing us to really get to know her. And yet by the end, I wasn't sure what she was going to do. Was like, is she, what choice is she going to make? And I think that's the whole point and purpose of us getting to know her so well and so intimately throughout the show is so that at the end, we still have that question and that realization when she makes her choice, you know, it's determining whether or not, do we really know who she is? And do we really know who Loki is? Because now my question is, is how are Loki and Sylvie going to interact going forward? After there's been this confirmation of their relationship as well as a kind of betrayal on both sides. A betrayal of ideals rather than, um, you know, straight up like, I'm throwing you to the wolves type thing. Plus you have the fact that the entire time Sylvie had this history with the TVA that Loki didn't have. You know, Renslayer came and took her and brought her into the TVA when she was a child. And, 
you have this moment where Loki and Mobius are trying to piece together how to find her. They don't know it's her yet. And Loki finally puts it together, but everyone's kind of like, I don't know about that idea because, of course, he's Loki, so no one trusts him there either. But Mobius finds a way to go along with it. And then when they finally find Sylvie, it takes so long for her to open up about what her goals are, basically, which is perfectly understandable. Yeah, you don't want to give the game away. And in her, obviously, from her perspective, like it is, this is her life's mission. And regardless of her growing feelings for Loki and a huge change in her personality, it's still so hard for her to trust. And I think that it works really well because there's so much back and forth with her and that feels very realistic for someone who's gone through those experiences of you know being ripped away from your childhood and then essentially growing up in moments of the apocalypse throughout time like that's a hell of a way to survive especially from you know she looks like she's about 11 12 when they take her Yeah, it's crazy. And they also jump into the future, too, because you have the 2050 timeline where they're at the Roxcart Mall, which is definitely, you know, a Roxxon Easter egg for Marvel fans. And that's something that has appeared in Cloak and Dagger heavily. I don't know if that show is coming back at all or what's going on with that, but it was like a huge driver of the story in that show. And I think they are introducing a lot of very interesting things here because we get a look at the future, but at the same time, we're like, okay, is that what the future is like because this variant is out there and branches are happening? Or is this the actual future and this is Marvel's way of introducing Roxxon again Because, like I said, you know, I don't know how much Cloak and Dagger is going to play into the MCU stuff, since that was like a freeform show or something. I have no idea. It definitely wasn't like a Disney Plus thing. But we saw Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was an ABC show, play into the movies and vice versa. So it's not unrealistic that this was kind of a little nudge to remind us that Roxanne existed and obviously doesn't really come to play at all elsewhere in this story but I just thought that was like an interesting easter egg and you know because Sylvie goes there more than once too right and um the another one of those is uh Judge Renslayer is a longtime Marvel character um who's actually Kang Conqueror's wife and that's all intimated in second to last or the last episode where she gets that separate note and she reads through the files that she didn't request and then just leaves like that so we know we'll see we'll be seeing more of her and that's I'm I'm happy because Gugu Mbatha-Ra is just a fantastic actress and when I saw they were using her I was like oh please let this be a continuing character because she's also very interesting because she obviously had some pre-knowledge of what was going on whether or not it was full-on she knew up to Kang or she was just more aware of the timekeepers than anybody else like all of that stuff is so up in the air and leaves so much room for them to explore and explain and that'll hopefully come into something and that's the other thing I love is that these shows can so easily fold into the movies and give us more context so that we don't have to watch you know the the movies will be able to focus more on their story as opposed to like oh we got to drop all these hints for the next so that people aren't like where the hell did this come from yeah and i mean quick little spoilers here for black widow we kind of saw that with their post credit scene where if you hadn't watched the falcon and the winter soldier you were probably a little confused, but at the same time, we know how Marvel operates. So if you make the choice to not watch the shows, there's a chance you're going to be missing some crucial details, which I don't necessarily love 
because right. movies and TV are very different for a lot of people. Like I have a bunch of friends who watch movies all the time, whereas I typically will watch TV shows a ton. Like I've watched all of the CW shows because I have lost my mind. Not all of the CW shows, but the CW DC shows, I should say, which, right. you know, that's like half of the CW shows. Yeah, it is really. But for me, I'm just all in on what Marvel's doing. And I would really, really love to be all in on what DC is doing too. It's just, I, I don't know. It's like Marvel figured it out. And even if you don't like something, it's never to the point where you're like, okay, I've, I've given up on Marvel. I'm done. At least for, you know, you and I. <laughs> right, right. There, are, I, I know of critics who that is definitely how they feel. And I'm, I can respect that. But for me, how Marvel is doing things is becoming more and more like a visual version of the comic books. And they are perfecting putting in all of these different ideas and the ideas are what draw me to Marvel comics, like the cosmic world that they have going on and that they are willing to have their characters change pretty dramatically over time and all of that. And when they bring someone back to life or something like that, they usually make it. So it makes the, makes the series more interesting, you know, not always, Aunt May, I'm, I'm not going to speak to that, but, you know, just keeps getting younger and younger. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But like bringing the choice to bring Vision back in WandaVision, so he's white Vision, that is fascinating because now there's a, it's a whole different character, but also the same. So it's, and now with the Loki, they're doing the same thing. Um, but in the the thing about that Black Widow moment is Black Widow was supposed to come out way before Winter Soldier ever premiered. So what we see in Winter Soldier is supposed to be the continuation of that, which I, I as I watched Black Widow, I was like, I see why they did this. And it still works. It still works in both of them. But it's just funny because it's like, oh, because in, in Winter Soldier, she's just introduced in a very casual way and I wouldn't be shocked if they did some reshoots when they realized Black Widow wasn't going to be coming out but I think Loki in particular allows them to really expand with having these different forms of these characters come in and out of the Marvel Universe you know and I really hope it gives us not an origin story Fantastic Four no origin they've had three we don't need any more <laughs> and none of them were good yeah I think I've only seen two of them, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, to <laughs> bring it back to Loki a little, I know it's so hard when we're talking about Marvel things to only talk about this one thing because of how connected they make everything. So, right. you know, with Sylvie, we see her trauma. We see her apparently trying to trust Loki, you know, when they enchant the giant, I, I keep wanting to call it the smoke monster from Lost, but it's not <laughs> what it is. I keep thinking of it as Aragog, but that's definitely not what it is. But I think it's actually called Alioth, or I might be mispronouncing that. I'm terrible with I think with that's what names. they said on the show. I think we're good. Close enough. That is introduced in the fifth episode, and Loki and Sylvie are going to have to enchant it in order to get past it. So in that moment, you see Sylvie kind of putting faith into Loki to encourage him that he can do this. And you have all of the other Lokis in that episode as well, you know. And oh, God. We, we see so many Lokis in the back half of these six episodes. And I think it's fairly well balanced because you have the whole Lamentus One sequence, too, where Loki yes. and Sylvie are really just not necessarily going at each other, but you can tell they're both trying to figure out what to do about the other. And, you know, you have that tension throughout the earlier scenes with them, and then it kind of accumulates into, oh, hey, Sylvie might actually trust Loki, and then the next episode it's like, Nope, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I think she trusts him as far as he can serve her goals. Yes. And exactly. she 
wants to trust him more than that, I think. And I think if the last episode really shows their growth together and then it gets just shattered when she realizes that they still have those different goals. And that was my question for that character is it's like, well, does she really still, does she now not trust him? Or is she like, well, I'm choosing my my path and I'm sad that it can't be the same path, but I have to do what I have to do, which is a different thing than not trusting someone because he, she does try to kill him and he just says, okay, I, just listen, please just listen to me. And she trusts him enough to listen. And I think that shows me that it's a little more of she still trusts him, but that's the thing with a Loki. What, what can you do? Yeah. So question for you then, which character is more charming loki or sylvie oh i don't think sylvie tries to be charming in the same way that loki does no she's loki's a bit of a try hard for sure <laughs> for sure which is kind of the thing one of the things i love about him yeah but i think to me sylvie is the more charming one because it's so effortless and because she doesn't care she truly doesn't care you know loki says he doesn't care but he cares he cares so much she's you know, it's it's like she has had to hide her whole life, so she's not attention-seeking in the same way. But you can still tell there's a little bit of that in her. She hides it so much better than Loki does. Oh, and that actress is just super charismatic. Yeah, the two of them on screen together was just amazing from the start. And we've spent so much more time with Loki. It's like, of course, you know, if... You're watching Loki and you don't love the character. This might play very different for you. Yeah. But for me, I, guess. I was always intrigued by Loki and I was like, okay, Marvel can do so many things with their characters who have these magical abilities, you know, and yes. sort of otherworldly in, you know, Loki's case too and Thor. But I think between WandaVision and Loki, they had so much room to play with. And we see them do something very different in WandaVision with, you know, mimicking the sitcoms. And, you know, that was right. definitely very unique. This is unique as well. And like I said earlier, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, that was just like straight MCU. Here we go. Here, Here's this thing you already know and love. <laughs> Spy thriller. That was the aspect of it that was new-ish for me, was that mm -hmm. they really went with a... Um, Jason Bourne almost style spy thriller mm -hmm. mixed with a little like military style movie. So it still felt like its own thing, but not nearly as that was almost, if anything, what I was really expecting out of an MCU show. Yep. Whereas both WandaVision and Loki are way different. And especially Loki, I think for me, Loki's the one that's really just said, fuck it, we're doing our own thing. <laughs> And we don't care because they throw out so many crazy ideas in this one. And it's uh, it's working for them. And I think it was a big risk because and there are people I've seen who really hated this show, who thought it was boring. And I was like, I can't get on that train, but have fun. But we can get on the Snowpiercer train. We can. We can. <laughs> <laughs> think of how awful it would be to end up in that apocalypse. Ugh. Yeah, but they made train. it look so beautiful in a sense because just the way Loki was shot, I think it took everything to another level because we're not in New York. You know, I think that helps a lot too. Obviously, neither were the other two shows, but they were in more familiar territory, if you will. They looked like normal places. Aside from the fact that Wanda made up all of Westview. but <laughs> Right, right. And that has its own feel to it that is also yeah. different from the MCU. Because every, you know, every episode mimics a different sitcom. Those all feel accurate. But then once, once we get back into the regular world outside of, you know, Westview and all of that, then again, we plunge right back into an MCU style world. And because Loki is jumping around in the whole time and space continuum here, you never really knew what you were going to get next. So to go from 
this renaissance fair to, you know, something like Lamentus One, then back to the TVA and to the Roxxon store, whatever it was called. But it was one of those things where they had so many different locations, you could never really just get super comfortable in one place. And I like that because you were kind of like, okay, anticipating what's next. And, you know, we obviously then have He Who Remains, We obviously have to talk about this character because much like Randall Flagg, this -hmm. character has many a name. (laughs) Yep. Yep. But generally, he is thought of as Kang the Conqueror. Yes. Jonathan Majors was such fun casting for this character. Such perfection. And my, um, my, my husband is an avid comic book reader, and he, as he was watching it, two minutes in because he's read Kang's stories he was like oh this guy's perfect this is exactly how because Kang is off, is often portrayed as very um smarmy is the word he used and he's like this is exactly how he is is so very uh, over the top and elegant and all of that and every move and conversation is super exaggerated and Jonathan Majors just and I'm, I'm excited we'll get to see him back in um the next Ant-Man and the Wasp movie Quantum mania so that's yay (laughs) yeah because i think if you don't follow the news the fact that sylvie's like i'm gonna kill this man it's just like so jarring at first because you're like oh they introduced him to kill him but it's like okay he's king the conqueror so it's like yes his status is dead but at the same time you're like Eh, we know he'll be back. And, you know, does anyone ever really die in anything comic book related? No. But and he's and I liked that they just he blatantly says it. I'll see you again soon. Yep. Different me, but it'll be, you know, like he, he also literally says he's King the Conqueror, too. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. That's like his 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 regular most common name or something I uh-huh. think he uses. But he's a it's. It'll be fascinating because then are we going to see Jonathan Majors playing? He'll be playing Kang, but a different Kang with different life experiences. And that will be fascinating, like how we see all the different Lokis, because all the different Lokis act very, very differently, especially my we got to give a shout out to classic Loki. Richard E. Grant's performance in this blew me away and it made me so sad also because I was like, all right, see, Disney, this is how you use Richard E. Grant. You know, General Pride is not how you use Richard E. Grant from Star Wars. Like, he's that in Star Wars. And mm-hmm. he gets nothing. You give that guy real, let him open up on screen, and he can just make, he can make you cry just with a few words and a facial expression. So that was perfect casting. Yeah, I also love that his real name is... Nathaniel Richards for he who remains because oh is is that the one even if it's not a tie to the Fantastic Four you can't help but think of Reed Richards right right and I saw a lot of um I saw online a lot of comparisons uh to it and as very popularly known for those who are on Twitter too much uh Elon Musk actually tweeted this very lukewarm take out is that Loki is uh, just like Rick and Morty. And I saw someone mention like, oh, the TVA is just the Council of the Ricks. And I'm going to correct everybody here and say, no, 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 no. The Council of Ricks is the Council of Reeds, which is the Council of Reed Richards. That is an evil group that exists in the Marvel Universe and has for and existed long before Rick and Morty ever became a thing. So there's lots of big groups in Marvel that do weird, let's control the universe type things. So, and I wouldn't be shocked if we see that in the MCU, that this would be a good opportunity to introduce it and make Reed a bad guy. I mean, more than he already actually is, but we won't talk about that. (laughs) Not until we see it in Fantastic Four anyway. We might be here for a while if we have that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. This show opens up so many opportunities, and I think that they were able to thread the needle with it was masterfully done. And I never, ever expected to like these TV shows this much. I'm honestly shocked when I watch it, and I'm like, wow, I don't usually have appointment television. Yeah, Disney is 
getting that money from us, <laughs> let me tell you. Because right? we went so long without having anything in theaters. You know, I went opening night, Thursday night to see Black Widow that first Thursday that it was out. And this I watched pretty much every... I didn't stay up until midnight like some people to watch it because I'm an old lady. And I right. <laughs> don't stay up until midnight to watch things anymore. No. So no. I would watch it, you know, after I was done working on Wednesdays. And I really just felt like Marvel has found a way to make it so that you have these sort of water cooler conversations again, because a lot of people liked binge watching stuff on Netflix, but then a lot of people also miss the week to week because honestly, I can binge watch something and then each episode is just like so blurry. Yeah. When I watch Stranger Things, I'm just like, all of this happened. Don't ask me what order. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think with I was thinking about Stranger Things as as well because when we were talking about how well contained and how well paced this is because in every Stranger Things season there's at least one to two episodes that drag and I haven't seen any of that with um, any of the MCU shows I mean there's been a couple of slow episodes but usually that serves a purpose whereas in Stranger Things it feels like they're just really stretching. So I'm hoping that continues because I think the worst thing they could do, if it's true that um, what you and I have talked about, uh, that there's a possibility that this was meant to be 12 episodes and that's why we're getting a second season. I'm glad they chose to do what they did because I feel like 12 episodes would have been too much for this story. We don't need that much. And this is a good stopping point. Mm -hmm. And... I was happy with it. Of course, I want to see more, but I'm yeah. also like, I feel satisfied with that in the same way I did with like the second season of Mandalorian. All right, this is a good pause point, And now I can build excitement for the next season in a year. Yeah. And before we talk about the very, very end, you know, the post he who remains stuff, I want to talk about the Android timekeepers. I think that's the big moment that we haven't touched on just yet and if there's anything else you want to talk about that we haven't hit on just let me know because I feel like this was very contained but at the same time you have so much character work going on that you know it's not necessarily about every single plot point that happens it's more about the picture as a whole and so you know they finally get into the timekeepers chambers if you will it's almost like judges chambers or something yeah. like you don't you don't go in there you're not allowed in there and Sylvie and Loki start you know fighting the Minutemen and Judge Renslayer and then Sylvie gets to one of the timekeepers cuts off the head only to discover they are androids and you even see some surprise on Renslayer's face too. You know, everyone just thought these were the people in charge and they find out, they all find out whoever is still alive anyway, <laughs> that they've been lied to. And yep. you see this hit hardest with Mobius, I think, because yeah. even though he was like pruned or whatever, he's starting to learn the truth that he had a life before the TVA and all of this stuff. And it's one of those things where the truth is slowly coming out and everything is just unraveling in front of us and we still don't know where it's going to go. Yeah, it's a long knitted scarf that's only just started, you know, it's only just popped its thread and now it's all going to come apart. And the show as a whole feels very much like how they portray the timeline where, you know, they're clipping off branches throughout the show of here's this possibility. Nope, that's not accurate. Here's this one. Nope, that's not accurate. And then at the end, everything just now there's all the branches, you know, now there's all these possibilities of what could be coming both for these characters. And we know this is having an impact on the, you know, quote unquote, real world in the MCU and all of the worlds across the multiverse. So, you know, that this is, a big effing deal and that is a great climax to a show you know and that 
there is more after Kang because I was really worried. I was like, oh, please don't end it with just this. Let us see just a tiny bit is just and I was really satisfied with how they decided to do it. Yeah, this was so good. You know, I think if I had to maybe rank the shows of the three so far, it's probably this WandaVision and then Falcon and Winter Soldier. This and WandaVision are very close for me, though, because I love how unique they were in comparison to a lot of what else we've seen in the MCU. But okay, it's time to talk about that sort of final scene where Loki goes back to the TVA after Sylvie has killed He Who Remains and Mobius. Well, no, doesn't she kick him through? She kicks him through the portal and then she kills him. Yes, I just assume he finds Mobius and Hunter B-15 after she's already killed him since she kills him like right after she kicks Loki through the portal and he's like, you know, running around trying to find yes. it, find them. So it it's like simultaneous, I guess we'll call it. But, right. you know, he finds Mobius and Hunter B-15 in like the... I, the whole thing looks like a library. I love it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> me too. It would be a favorite place of mine by far. Yes, but they don't recognize him. Sitting in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, they don't recognize him. That's right. So which timeline is he in? And he turns and sees this massive King the Conqueror statue. <laughs> yes, that used to be the three uh, timekeepers. Yes, because they've shown that that shot or shot from that angle four or five six times before so it's a normal background and i immediately noticed i was like oh that's kang that is not so that's also what i'm wondering is so what did you think why did you think they chose to do that i think when him and sylvie were in the room with he who remains kang the conqueror whatever you want to call him they literally could tell the timeline was like ready to burst and, you know, just branching off in so many different directions that because we weren't really seeing what was happening at the TVA while they were, you know, enchanting the monster and doing all of this other stuff, you know, we saw bits and pieces, but really you are like, okay, this is probably another timeline. At least that's how I understood it. And in this timeline, Loki was never captured by the TVA. Yes, that is, that's about where I thought. I was like, okay, that's, because at first I was just like, oh no, he's lost his friend. He's lost <laughs> his friend, no. But then my, I was thinking about it and I think that's, that's it exactly as he's in a different timeline of the TVA because she just opens a portal and she's never opened a portal with that thing before, so... It's entirely conceivable that she just said, and go, and just sent him somewhere and didn't really know where she was sending him. And is that the same one they were having so many issues with? Or is that Judge Renslayer's one that she somehow stole? She opens that last one when she takes the the round stone thing that Kang has had on his hand when he sets it down on the table. That's the thing she uses, which I assume is his iPad for the multiverse controller system yeah because all the ones that they have at the tva are like rectangular ones that like flip open yeah and it seemed like he had like a a master one or something yep that he could just like dial on it i was like that's a fancy uh fancy iwatch you got there yeah yeah yeah. okay i must have looked at my phone during that moment (laughs) it happens um i think the other the only other thing i really want to make sure we touch on is this the choice that sylvie and loki are given where um, Kang says, you know, there's two options. Takeover or chaos. (laughs) Yep. And what you going to do? I mean, it was clear if you follow the Marvel news and you know what's coming, there's going to be chaos because that makes the most sense and provides the most story options. Yes. (laughs) Because they haven't set Loki and Sylvie up to be the villains. If they had set them up to be the villains, then I think it would have been the other way around and we would have seen everybody fighting Loki and Sylvie in the next phases of the MCU. Mm -hmm. What's the better option? There's no good options here. (laughs) Like, either you're going to have Kangs all over the place, not to mention all the other you know nonsense that comes across because it's it's kind of the same goes back to the same battle as uh that tony stark talks about in you know iron man 2 and 
then on about putting a shield around the world and controlling everything it's like is total control really better than chaos and i really liked how they set up that question so well throughout the first six episodes or five episodes of the show and then the last episode they're like bam think about this like that's the kind of thing I really like to see Marvel do is because that's what they do so well in the comic books is giving you those philosophical ideas and thoughts in easily and interestingly packaged stories. It's also very easy to see how this show could have gone so wrong if they didn't pull it off. And obviously you said you know people who didn't care for it as much or and stuff like that. But I think you don't have to know everything about the comics to enjoy these. And I think that's why a lot of people do end up just sitting around watching them and having a good time and not overthinking them. You know, we yes. both have watched, you know, like comic tropes videos, new rock stars videos, yep. the Easter egg videos, everything that you can kind of really dive into with these. And for me, I don't care as much about all of the Easter eggs because it's like, yeah, of course they're going to, you know, put in this little item over here and the Thanos you know. copter, for instance. <laughs> yeah. And they're fun when you notice them, but I don't think it's crucial for the enjoyment level of these shows or movies to catch every single little Easter egg. Or sometimes, you know, this came up on the Black Widow episode. It's like, oh, there were shield vehicles. It's like, yeah, of course there were. That's not really like an Easter right. egg, you know? <laughs> right. No, this takes place during, you know, the Civil War. <laughs> You don't have to care about stuff like that in order to like them. I totally agree. And if you yeah. do, you really got to be careful about how much investment you put into that stuff and remind yourself this is just a movie. Because as much as I, I find it very frustrating to watch and read critical reviews about things like Black Widow and just like, well, there's these plot holes and there's all of these action scenes and we don't really need them. It's like, well, yes, but... This is also a fun superhero movie or like Black Widow doesn't have any superpowers, but somehow she jumps out of, you know, uh, in inner orbit flying thing and survives. It's like, well, yeah, of course she's going to survive. If you can't buy into. Look, they had parachutes. It's perfectly yeah. fine. I don't I don't know what the gripe right. is. <laughs> right. It's like, you just got to roll with it. Just roll with it. And if you can't roll with it, then it's probably just not not for you because there's definitely like Transformers. I cannot watch Transformers movies because that stuff just snags my brain time and time again and it becomes unenjoyable. I can do that with Marvel movies probably because I love Marvel comics. So we can also watch Maximum Overdrive, you know, exactly. every movie needs to be perfect to be fun. <laughs> right, right. And these are fun and they have a little bit of depth to them and they're God, this is beautifully shot. Like all of those scenes. Loki really is. Are, yeah. are just all the scenes when they're on, you know, the void of time and when they're in Kang's castle thing, whatever it is, um, are all very gorgeous. And this was digitally shot, but I love that there is um, quite a lot of effort made, especially during the scenes in the TVA, to make this look very gr almost grainy and 70s style film. I had to look up. I was like, is, is this part shot on film? Like, that would be a bad choice on their part. But interesting. Yeah. So I think it's, you really just have to be open to this kind of thing and get what enjoyment you can out of it and leave whatever else behind. Yeah, I am excited for season two. I am excited for Hawkeye. I'm excited to just really have fun with these. And, you know, if you've listened this far and you haven't watched Black Widow or Loki, you know, I, I did try to give spoiler warnings here. But, you know, I understand that these aren't for everyone. And what movie or TV show is, let's be honest, you know, even for some comic book fans, you know, there are always going to be the people who prefer the comics or who want the comics adapted exact for the movies, which... right. That's a whole other thing, but I personally am having fun with this. Katie, I like to recommend things at the end of episodes now. So do you have any 
comics or other Marvel things or literally anything in general that you would recommend for people who enjoyed Loki? Yes, actually. It is a somewhat cautious recommendation, but it's interesting enough that I think if if you like the original work, give it a try. There is a new animated adaptation of The Long Halloween. It just came out, and it's two parts. There's a lot of stretching. I wasn't pleased with every choice they made, but it's beautifully done. It looks like a very good amalgamation of uh, Tim Sale's artwork and the classic Batman the Animated Series style smooshed together. Uh, The line work is amazing. The use of shadow and color. Oh, it's just gorgeous. And despite the cover, because the cover is terrible, (laughs) what's inside is, I think, worth a watch. And I hope they do a Dark Victory one and we can compare it to our Dark Victory episode that you and I did. Yeah, there are so many superhero things out right now. It's so hard to keep track of them. But You know, we saw this Loki in particular in the show, so I am going to recommend checking out Vote Loki, which is, you know, the uh, comic where he's kind of like all presidential and things, you know? Yes, yes, I can see that. (laughs) And this is kind of, you know, the Loki that shows up and actually looks like our version of Loki, you know, when they're in the, I guess it's a bunker yeah, the Loki bunker, the yeah. hiding spot. With all of the Lokis. <laughs> yes. Uh, is that a comic? Yeah, so Vote Loki is a four-part comic book series from 2016. It is not super long, but it's a satire on the 2016 election. I definitely need to read that. We love Loki. <laughs> we do. We do. He's just delightful. And to be clear... The issue, all four issues came out before the election results. So this was okay. June, July, August, and September of 2016. They planned that well and probably <laughs> told the artist and writer, they're like, you have strict deadlines for this. It has to be coming out. It has to finish before the election. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, one of the variant Lokis is based on, like, this satirical version. It, you know, definitely check that out <laughs> if you enjoyed this. That sounds amazing. Katie, any final thoughts here? I had a very good time with this. I did too. I really enjoyed it. It was definitely the most fun for me. WandaVision was a a little more emotional watch for me because of my experience during the pandemic. So this one I could just kind of sit down and enjoy on a comic level and really just get into it. So I was thoroughly pleased with how well it came off. And I'm Sad that uh, Kate Heron isn't returning for the second season, but Mm -hmm. I'm still on board. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And because this ties into Doctor Strange in 2022, I imagine we'll get this second season hopefully before that at some point. I don't know if there's like an exact date or anything yet, of course, but we know season two is coming. I am looking forward to it. Like I said, I'm looking forward to all of the other Marvel things. But Katie, thank you so much for joining me. I know we could have gone much longer on Loki. (laughs) Yes, yes, we could have. But thank you for having me. This was great and also so fun to talk about. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at Geekdom Pod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.